0: You're listening to the World Radio Day podcast series on SOAS Radio.
1: Hello and welcome. This is Mia for SOAS Radio. We are here with a post World Radio Day interview with Verity Postlethwait, who is a teaching fellow at SOAS, is doing her PhD at the University of Worcester, researching uh, the 2012 London Olympics and Paralympics, and we're here to talk a little bit about World Radio Day and uh, sports, politics, and business. So, keep fabulous!
0: It uh, thank you very much for inviting me here. Um, it was fabulous to contribute to the World Radio Day workshop and event and it's given me as much food for thought I think than um, some of what hopefully the audience took away that that day.
1: Oh absolutely I've had some very good feedback so for our listeners Verity did a workshop about historical moments in sports and I believe that um, some of the students were able to try out sports commentating for themselves so I think that was a very fun hour Um, and maybe let's start there. Can you talk us a little bit through uh, through the workshop? What did you talk about? Absolutely. Um, my PhD
0: research and some of the work that I'm doing here at SOAS in the Centre for International Studies and Diplomacy is very much looking at historical narratives in and around looking at the politics, the international relations, the business of sport. I think you have to very much start to look at, okay, well, where are these origins? Have these stories come about before whose voices have been heard or erased and um, so I just took the hour during the workshop to sort of say yes um, you know athletes have a huge presence on social media at the moment you know Cristiano Ronaldo 70 plus million followers um, but the role of the athletes um, the the celebrity of sporting stars um, how those different athletes have used those in history for varying platforms have been you know around for centuries and arguably, according to certain historians, millenniums, (laughs) I don't go quite that far back. Um, So, for example, I put up the picture of the hand of God from the famous Argentina England football game in in the Mexico World Cup, which was in and around the um, time of the Falkland War. And, you know, that's a great example of where apparently sport and politics mixed. Can you just um, describe what happened during that? game. Um, So that particular moment around the hand of God I had showed the image and a number of the audience um, recognized it Um, but what was interesting is that um, people were not as familiar with the political context so for those of you that don't know that are listening today um, it was a football match between Argentina and England in the quarterfinals of the 1986 FIFA World Cup in Mexico. Um, and the game was held four years after the Falklands War between Argentina and um, the UK um, and was a key part in an already intense Argentinian-English football rivalry. It also includes two very famous goals by Diego Maradona, one of which, the hand of God, is him um, punching the ball with his hand, so, you know, cheating um, above uh, the English goalkeeper at the time. And um, Argentina beat England uh, 2-1, But those are moments where you would recognize the picture perhaps, or you would know Diego Maradona, but you wouldn't necessarily connect that political moment or that historical context to what makes um, that image even more relevant or even more interesting to look at more in depth. Um, So the workshop was really just taking people on a journey through some of those um, bits and pieces that I've come across in my own research or people might have come across. um, And it touched on, as we were talking about before, the empire. Um, and the colonial role yeah, um, of can,
1: sports. Yes. If you can go into that, I think that's a really interesting part. What's your take on kind of the colonial past of sports today? A very
0: interesting question, and I think I'll give my both personal and research perspective. Um, personally, I am continuing to look at the colonial um, and sport element because it's something that growing up in a, a traditional um, school system of England never was actually taught about um, and although it's obvious when you say it you know there's certain countries that are good at cricket rugby or um, play netball you never actually twig it's because of the British Empire so for me in itself I was like wow this is a history that has kind of been erased or isn't necessarily spoken about as much and then as you pointed out the Commonwealth Games um, so I'm from near Manchester and Manchester hosted the Commonwealth Games in 2002 and at the time I loved it as a spectator and I went to a couple of the events and it was a fantastic sporting experience but now that I reflect on that in with more of an academic head on I'm like wow that's got a huge colonial a huge past behind it um that's based on our relations with our colonies um and I think that's something that certainly coming to SOAS, I've been allowed to and, and encouraged to explore more and hopefully will do more um, as the Commonwealth Games comes to Birmingham. Uh, so back to England in 2022.
1: So before we were talking a little bit more about that colonial past and you were saying about how the British Empire actually used sports to oppress people in the colonies. How did they do that? There are a number of Uh, research pieces that
0: have come out and are still coming out um, using either archival um, or um, collecting personal uh, histories Um, and sport was a fantastic mechanism for um, well anybody in a position of power to regulate particular behaviours or to um, encourage particular values so around the context of uh, the British Empire sport was very much used to um, try to um, educate a community um into uh, particular etiquettes uh, particular um christian based values uh, discipline um and that was that was ongoing in england uh, in and in around class um and the different ways that classes engaged with sport so but in the particular context of the empire it was very prevalent um and you can very much argue that that would have be seen as oppression. But what's quite interesting is also as as historians and academics, um, or people that um just have a really significant connection to the to the empire are beginning to say is that they were moments that it was the reversal it was actually a way to protest or a rate a way to gain autonomy or gain a particular identity um so, you know for example like you mentioned india are fantastic at cricket and some would argue are better than england now at cricket and um, australia certainly showed in the ashes um recently that they are a better than their you know ex-colonial power uh, for being um good at, at cricket um so this is, it starts to tease out the complexity of sport because it can be both used as a mechanism to control but also used to foster environments where people can um, protest or um, gain autonomy or begin to push back on a particular dominant power.
1: Yeah, when it has such a colonial past that all the rules were written by the coloniser, it's um, how to break out of that and, and challenge that.
0: Yeah, and I think from a research perspective, something I'm really interested in is how... Um, rather than just relying on that narrative coming from the coloniser or the voice of the people in control what were the voices of the people participating or what were the voices of um, women for example in the empire around sport Um, as we're seeing um, in the contemporary moment with this girl can campaigns and a massive push on gender and participation um, and as Anna Kessel alluded to in the podcast series that SOAS's radio has done for this uh, world radio day um women in sport has had a really rich history which is being is being documented and is beginning to be more widely understood but it's a lot more complex than not you know who created the rules or who was the best at it or who got the most profile or who was the strongest yes sport offers that on the surface um but below that surface there's there's different battles which are never certain as we discussed are never scripted um, and they for me are the most interesting elements of sport.
1: Mm. You talked about erasure of history and sport do you have any examples of that? A very
0: personal example comes from uh, my sort of sporting background is women's football Um, and again I first got interested in the history and research of it around um the football association the English Football Association uh, banned women's football shortly after um, World War One um, and it wasn't reinstated for 50 years um, that was women were completely banned from playing competitive football on any ground that was registered to the FA um, and that history up until I would argue well there's certain key figures that have have shouted from the rooftops about this history of course but in sort of the popular time it's not been until recent years that that's really come into a a popular understanding so uh, for example uh, last year Claire Balding did a a mainstream Channel 4 documentary around this particular topic Um, I've got a couple of colleagues that have got you know quite um, significant funding at the moment to work with the National Football Museum in Manchester to really go into this archive um, there is another PhD colleague uh, working, um, in fact two one's working specifically on um, women's football histories and others working on um, women's rugby histories um, so although it seems common sense that you know there's always a rich history of, of women in football up until recently that for me
1: was was erased <laughs> and I think in the BBC documentary was also shown it wasn't just banned for 50 years but before that it was very popular did you know that before?
0: Yeah I um, I actually read the uh, original book um, about the Dick Care ladies and their role in and around Preston, St Helens because I'm uh, Lancastrian or that's where my uh, parents have brought me up um, so it's something that the book by Gail Newsham is something that I think my mum bought it for me in my early teens so a long time ago now but I remember still reading that and just being like my breath was taken away um, because these ladies um, against the grain got huge crowds um, to these football matches um, and donated their money um, that they'd raised back into a lot of the soldier funds and a lot of the funds that were needed so it was this film Philanthropic um, element and whether I could definitively say it but it certainly influenced my passion for volunteering in sport and the understanding that you don't necessarily need to make money from sport sometimes it is can boil back down to the contribution it's making to your community and very personally to me um, I can relate directly to that
1: yeah I mean you mentioned money there and I think that's a huge part of sports today we, we talked about the intersection between sports politics and business which is always there you um you're teaching the sports and diplomacy course what are the different values that come with this kind of complex being of sports being you know a community thing but then also something that involves a lot of profit making Well, I'll
0: set the scene this morning um, just by look of the draw, excuse the sporting pun, um, our sport and diplomacy class ran directly in time with the Pyeongchang um, opening ceremony. So um, there was 32 students plus uh, me and Simon um, watching it live and analysing it live and the values that you speak about um, that we used as the baseline of how you can see um, what Pyeongchang or South Korea were trying to... um, messages they were getting across is directly related to the International Olympic Committee's Olympic Charter so this concept of olympism um, and that is yes about being the fastest the strongest you know the sporting prowess but it actually has significant undertones of being an ethical uh, person striving for equality uh, non-discrimination those moral values are set out very very explicitly at the beginning of that charter in their their principles again I've looked at this both personally and professionally um, and I think that sport can strive to have those values and we could see today with our own eyes with our own students that Um, there was a message around peace and a message around reconciliation which I don't even need to mention everything going on around the careers at the minute um but in in reality how far can that go and that's where I think you can become a critical friend or be a bit more analytical it's all well and good that these things can be said or put in a charter or you know placed in an opening ceremony but how do we see that or how does that
1: translate into reality yeah especially with um you know, there's be, there being so much power exerted by brands who invest into into these big sporting events and into teams, um, into athletes. But also, um, you know, when it becomes a, more about a profit-making things and things like doping and success, I don't know, is, it, is that just a kind of... A, a front which isn't re- reality
0: yeah. anymore yeah and i i'm gonna sound like a broken record but again going back to the historical origins that certainly within england and in the united kingdom um sport was built off of the back of gambling you know that was a huge um and still is a huge uh, money making and um feeds both the elite level and the grassroots level so Are we ever going to get to a utopian sporting system where no one cheats or alcoholism or gambling or the cartelling of sponsorship by multinational corporations isn't there? Um, Unfortunately, I'll be a bit cynical and say no. Um, Should we strive for that? I think so, but I think sport needs to do a much better job at expectation managing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think brands, sport organisations, athletes, parents who encourage their children to engage in sport you know all the levels all the different vectors of who engages in sport just need to have a bit the clarity of expectations sport is not this silver bullet um, nor is it you know the catalyst of everything that's bad with society or the platform for everything that's good you know we need to sort of move away from these absolutes and this focus on an end game even though ironically that's what sport focuses on in its purest form is the end game so riddled with contradictions
1: yeah i think that's all my questions for now was was there anything else that you wanted to talk about
0: No, um, just thank you again for the opportunity for the workshop. I think it's very valuable. Uh, Interesting that the United Nations or UNESCO chose it as the theme for World Radio Day. Um, And hopefully, if anything, um, people listening will go and look at the good work being done in the uh, CISD because SOAS is a bit of a hub for sport and diplomacy. So yeah, that would be useful.
1: Thank you very much, Verity. Thank you, Mia.
0: You're listening to the World Radio Day podcast series on SOAS Radio.